So we've been doing a lot of fun stuff as a church. Uh, September is one of those months where we kind of just really launch a lot of stuff. A lot of new things are happening with the children being taught downstairs. I always point down like they're in the pit, but there's a nice fellowship hall down there in kids' area if you haven't been down there. We've been working at the school across the street, and every time I'm over at that school, I've run into a fellowship person, which is super fun. Um, Friday, I went over to help out a little bit for a few minutes. There was a lady there that is here at her church helping out also. So it's just one of those neat things that we've been doing as a church. Our launch team for Weaverville met Thursday. That was a lot of fun. We, we talked ideas. We prayed a little bit. Uh, we caught up what's happening with that. And so there's just a lot of fun stuff happening here at Fellowship. Thank you for being a part of it. Like you, this is your church, and so it's been just a, a great time. So last week, we've been in this, in this talk, and we're asking a question, can I say that? Um, isn't it funny, when you ask that question, you've already said something that you know is going to get a reaction that might be a little, I don't know, like heavy, maybe a little heated or something like that. So we kind of asked that question, but we're just going to say it anyway. Like, let's just be real. So last week, we talked about politics, and I just laughed at the timing of that one. Like, like we've been working on, the, on when we would do that for years. <coughs> Excuse me. And <coughs> it couldn't have been a funnier time. So this week, I'm hoping, isn't quite as uh, maybe comical, but... We also don't come up with very fancy terms here at Fellowship. So we talked about all the creative things we can call today about money, and I decided to call it a money talk. So today we're going to talk about it. Now, like I know... That was a beautiful throw, too, man. Good thing I've been watching a lot of football lately. <laughs> Georgia, yes, never mind. We digress. I'm a big, yeah, that pass was, was beautiful, though. Um, pushed off that defender. Awful tackling, but. Um, so today we're going to talk about, mm, like, we're just going to, dive into my job here as executive pastor. If you don't know what that is, don't worry. You're not the only one. I didn't for a while either. Um, but it's just one of those. That was a joke, people. Um, <laughs> we figured it out eventually. And so, but one of the things I do is I work with our finances. So essentially how this works, it's, it's not real complicated. You give your gifts of tithes and offerings. We make a budget. Um, weekly, I look at the total of the tithes and offerings. Just to be clear, I don't look at who gives what. I have access to it. I just choose not to look. It's not really my business, I guess, to be aware of that type of stuff. I just look at the total, the weekly total. I know about what we're supposed to make every week. The first week of the month is always a big one, and the fifth week of the month is always a big one for some reason, but you only get four of those a year, so you can't bank on those to carry you through. So these are the real like tight logistics. Most time the offering, the second and fourth week aren't, that great, but that's okay because the first and third are generally pretty decent. So I know what we're looking for, and then I plan it out. We spend accordingly. If the offerings aren't great, I ask the staff team to come to me before they make big purchases, even if it's in the budget, so we keep an eye on it. We just want to be responsible, just like you do at home, we do here at the church. And so 
again, it's not a real complicated process, but it's important to keep an eye on it. So like our quarter just ended, our first fiscal year quarter just ended. So this is a really funny time to talk about this. I also know that money is weird for people to talk about. It's just straight up uncomfortable. You would never go up to someone unless they're your close friend and ask them how much they make at their job. You just wouldn't do it. It'd be rude. It'd be inconsiderate. I don't know why it's rude and inconsiderate. It shouldn't really be a secret, but it is. I think because how much you make, we often think it determines your value and worth as a person, which we all know is absolutely a ridiculous idea, but we all kind of act that way anyway. And so it's weird. The only time we brag about what stuff costs is if it's really cheap. Have you ever noticed that? Like, I got this shirt, it was a great deal at Ross. Or I got this at the Goodwill with tags on it still. You know, like, like we're okay to brag about it then, but there's this other point where it's just, it's just weird to talk about. You just wouldn't ask. Like, so much so, if you get a good deal, like, on cable, you don't want to tell a lot of people because they'll think you're trying to show off. Like, that's so weird. But that's how we act. Like, why is our cable bill a secret? Why is all this other stuff? I've seen some of you, and I know why you do it, like sneak to the offering box. And you're like reaching behind your arm to drop it in because the verse says, don't do your good works there for people to see you. Like, because you get your reward there. But like, we think it means we need to sneak to the offering box. Because we're just kind of weird about money. I thought about doing this. I thought it'd be fun. If you do that, that's fine. It really is. I mean, it's just one, I know why we do it, but it's just an, an, an interesting thing that we want to be real careful with that for some reason. Um, but one thing I thought about that'd be fun to do is when you walked in, pick a certain group of you and give you $10. Just $10. And then halfway through the sermon, request you give one of those back to me. Most of you would be fine with that. You, you had kept it for just a couple minutes. It's only 10 bucks. I want one back. Like, yeah, sure, you just gave it to me. I'll give you one back. But I decided we shouldn't do that because it's weird. And so then I thought, what if I gave you $1,000? I picked a few of you to give $1,000 to, but didn't tell you in six weeks I wanted a little bit of it back. Well, I give it to you, and at some point in that six-week period, that money would become yours. You would probably have a plan for it. And I would ask you in six weeks for just a little bit of it back. I might ask for 50 of it back. I might ask for 200 of it back. Really, you shouldn't be upset I asked for any of it back because it was mine to begin with. But at some point in that time, it became yours, and you wouldn't want to give it back. You would say, what kind of guy gives me $1,000 and expects something in return? That would be most of our hearts because money just does that to us. I don't know why. I can't explain it. It doesn't make sense to me, but that's what money does to us. It's just, it's a part of us. It's ingrained in us. In fact, I'm reading this book. I won't bore you with the details, but it talks about money with people. And as long as there's been a civilized group of people, there's some type of money, monetary system, and, and, and it's like ingrained in people. No matter what culture, what continent you're on, there's money to be exchanged. And isn't it funny, there on our coins, dollars, it says, in God we trust, plus the U.S. Treasury. 
Because really, it's a faith-based system. There's like our dollars aren't really worth anything. Like, have, have we ever thought about this? Not trying to blow your mind, but those pieces of paper aren't really worth anything. You go to the store and like, like a drink's a dollar still, right? Or close. You give them a dollar. They actually have faith that the next time they go to use that, that, that dollar will be valuable. But we've seen, historically speaking, like economies can crash and those pieces of paper can actually be worth nothing at all. But we don't wake up every day worried about that. But somehow money is so ingrained in us. Now, fortunately, I'm not giving you new information today because this would be really weird. Our total income in our first three months of the year, we are at 103% with our projected income. So for those of you who don't dabble in this world, I'll explain. 100% would be we're fully funded. Your tithes and offerings were what we expected. That's great news. The extra 3% is even better news. We're doing great. Now, our expenses were at 90% of our budget, which, again, I'll translate. That's 10% less than we projected to spend, so we're at a net gain of roughly 13%. Again, I'll just, that's good news. That's good. So we're spending less than we have bringing in. We're bringing in what we expected to. So if you're worried, the altar call today won't be to the offering boxes on the sides to drop in some stuff. We're not passing out pledge cards to ask you to give today. So just take that pressure off. That's not going to happen. We're just going to look at what the Bible teaches us about money. Now, it says a lot in our um, reading through the Gospels, Jesus often spoke about parable in parables. And 16 of his 38 are about money and possessions. For those of you good at math, 42% of them are about money and possessions. 10% of all New Testament verses are about that. One in 10 of New Testament verses are about money and possessions. There are 500 verses on prayer in the Bible, 500 verses on about, on faith, 2,000 about money. So there's this idea in the Bible that money is important. And so honestly, as I talk about it today, as it's part of my job and, and what I do here, I'm only going to read you what the scripture tells us. So I'm relieved to be able to do that. Um, and I also just want us to be comfortable with this. So let's turn to Matthew 6. Matthew chapter 6. Now, this is a teaching of Jesus. This is what Jesus says. I always ask two questions when I'm reading Jesus. One is, is this a parable? Because if it's a parable, we need to seek to understand it. A parable is a story about things here on earth, but a meaning with eternal implications, essentially. So I ask, is this a parable? The answer is no, this is not a parable. The second question I always ask when reading the words of Jesus, is Jesus joking? Let me repeat that. The second thing I always read when I'm reading the words of Jesus, is Jesus joking? Because he says some pretty hard to hear stuff, and if he's joking around, I want to know ahead of time so I don't have to actually apply this. So the answer to both, no, this is not a parable, and no, apparently Jesus is not joking around here. So let's, with that said, let's get into this text. We're in 16, verse, Matthew 6, verse 19. He says there, 
Do not lay up for yourselves a treasures like here, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. I was driving, radio came on, or I was listening to the radio, and it, it was telling a story of a family who had saved up a thousand dollars in cash, and they, like it was in a safe place, and they couldn't find it. So they're looking for an envelope of a thousand dollars in cash, and they're looking, looking, and they think to ask one of their children, who's three, where the money is. And the three-year-old kind of looks around, and then she, it dawns on her where it is, and she takes them to the paper shredder and points in the shredder, and sure enough, their money is in the paper shredder. I did not know if you take shredded paper to the treasury, they will actually piece it together for you and cash it back out for you, but it takes two years. <laughs> now, as someone who pays employees, some of them by like how long they work. I'm doing the math of hourly employee and how long it's going to take on pieces. Just give the people back their $1,000. But the Bible says here, do not store up for yourselves, lay up for yourselves treasures here on this earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. And um, I just want like to pose us, like, like this is such an interesting teaching of Jesus because it's, it's just not complicated. Like, do not lay up for yourselves treasures here on this earth. What does that mean for us? Well, um, the question, I think, is what makes you feel content or what brings you peace? Because that's probably that treasure. Now, there's nothing wrong, I always like to say, there's nothing wrong with good things. God gives us good things. He gives us nice things. I think cars are a beautiful thing. This is what happens with, with a car. I've never had this happen. I've just been told this is what happens. You, you go and new car. You go and buy a new car. The first week or month, you park in the far corner of the parking lot. Grocery store, the gym, as far away as possible. Because why? You don't want door dings. Like, sure enough, like, someone's going to park close to you and bash it in your door. But as time goes on, and that's probably the season where, like, you make the kids take the shoes off before they get in the car. You're cleaning it every week. Like, your cleats go in the trunk, kid. Sometimes the kids go in the trunk. And so just to keep it clean. And so that season begins to pass because that is your, your treasure. And then time goes on and you get more lax or really tired or something. You start parking closer to the door of the grocery store or start and so like we just understand that the things of this earth new things will fade away like we get it we understand it but why does that not keep us from sticking our faith in it you know we know our clothes wear out over time men probably have this problem a little more often than women do because I'll wear this same t-shirt for like 15 years like, it took me just to last month to know that I shouldn't wear cargo shorts anymore. I mean, and if you still own them, your wives and girlfriends have been telling you to throw them away for months now, people. So just get on board with that. But, but like, because we'll just keep, I know, there's like elbows. I told you this were out of style. I didn't know. And so... We know that things wear out, that things will decline, that things like the things of this earth will fade away, that it's a fleeting 
joy, and passion. Like we know that will happen, but somehow we still put our faith and hope in that thing. We still put our peace and joy and contentment in that thing with the understanding it's going to get broke, damaged, or destroyed, but it doesn't keep us from doing it. I don't know why. It's the weirdest thing. Like me, like I hate going to the store, Walmart or the mall. I will honestly have competitions with myself to see how long I can go. It's been years with the mall sometimes, years. But I love Amazon Prime. Can I get a hand up for Amazon Primers? Yes. Yeah, love Amazon Prime. That stuff is at your door in two days. I didn't have to see anybody. I didn't have to talk to anybody. It is there. Like, I can read the customer reviews. I know if it's legit. I love Amazon Prime. In fact, this shirt, I bought it on Amazon Prime during church last week. Because I saw Fred preaching, and I was like, I need to match the graphic. I bet there's a shirt on Amazon. And so I tried to match the color up with that one there. I think I did all right. So I love Amazon Prime. I'm just going to tell you all, that's, that, that's where I'm at. Isn't this weird thing happen? What, what, there, there's something fulfilling about new things. But it only lasts like a couple minutes or maybe a couple days. I don't know why, but it's just a part of us. And we have to recognize, and Jesus is addressing, do not lay up for yourselves treasures here on this earth where moth and rust destroy, but the converse, lay up for yourselves there in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy, where thieves cannot break in and steal. Now, we know what that is. We basically are being called to prioritize what God prioritizes. So we invest in people and not things. If we have have these things, we keep them loosely with open hands so that if God needs to use them to reach and bless other people, we do that. And so we know what it's saying, like place your treasures in heaven, value what God values, read his word and understand what he wants and what he holds important. And we get that. But somehow we get distracted or sidetracked. So I don't like cars, I'm not big into cars, but my house, when we look for a new house, we rented out in West Asheville for a couple years, about four years, we started to look for a house here, and this was that house, like I really told my wife, if I never have to move again, I'll be happy, so let's pick a house that we can live in until I die. I know it sounds dramatic, but I hate moving, so I meant it, and so we look, and I had two things I wanted. Land, a decent chunk of land, which like half wooded, half grass, and a two-car garage. Wife, her list was a little longer, but completely opposite things. We looked at two houses. The second house we looked at was it. Like It was my list, and it was her list, and I talked to the realtor. He made us a great offer, or he worked out a great offer on it. We bought that house, and I love this house. Just outside of town, so close enough to Asheville to enjoy all the fun stuff, but I don't have to deal with any of the traffic, things like that. I love living there. It's a place of refuge for me. My favorite thing to do, I get the kids up in the morning, get them dressed, and out the door, they get, um, I take them out to school, to the carpool, to go to school. I drive home and sit on my porch and watch grass grow. I'm telling you, I really do this. Neighbors are worried, but it's fine. I am content and just a happy person. I love this place, and it's a gift of God. I believe that firmly. But I've got to be careful that I don't possess it. 
You know, I've got to be careful to know it's like his house. It's his place. It's his gift he gave us. Because if you hold things too tight, you know, it's just not good. Because when God has to take them, it's just harder. It's more painful. And, and so let me ask you, where have you placed your hope and peace and contentment? It might be things. It might even be vacations and trips. If you're like only happy when you're on a vacation, you, you probably need to ask some questions. Like that may be that thing or that may be that piece. If you're only living for that next jolt of satisfaction, it might be worth digging into that, asking God to help you investigate that. Why is this my source of contentment and not you? Because Jesus says here in verse, the next verse, it says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I so wish that that verse were flip-flop. Where your like, heart is, there your treasure will be. Meaning, your treasure will follow your feelings. We always want life to be like a girlfriend or boyfriend. Like we like them, we get infatuated with them, we start to like obsess with them, and like our feelings, our, our behavior is following our feelings. And it's fun and exciting, it just feels like natural and good. But we all know if you've been in any length of a relationship, there comes a point where your behavior comes first and your feelings will then follow. In this, our treasure is the exact same thing. You, you, you have to do the work first and the feelings will follow. When your God begins to call you to give, you're not going to want to. I love this illustration of like who here has ever chosen like a diet? Like I'm going to lose some weight this week or you pick a plan, right? Come on, most of us have. And on Sunday, that's a great idea because you haven't done it yet. Thursday, you hate the world and the world hates you because the only thing you feel is hungry. That passion you had on Sunday to get it started, that feeling of excitement, is, it's gone. And now it's just doing the work. The same with the gym. You know, it's a great idea to go to the gym and you feel all motivated and, and pumped up. Like, and then you go the first time and you can't walk the next day. Like, that's not like the encouragement you were hoping for. But like that, the like as you go and the more you continue to go, the more your feelings will begin to follow that. And our giving, our self-sacrifice is the same way. And so let's, let's continue on in 22. And he goes, I is the lamp of the body. The eye is the lamp of the body. If it's healthy, the rest of you will be full of light. If it's not healthy, if it's bad, the whole body will be full of darkness. And therefore, if, if the light is in you in darkness, how great is that darkness? Basically, it's saying where you put your treasure is what you will see and what you will value. So what gets your treasure is what will be important to you. What gets the most of your time, money, and resources is what you will value the most. Um, one of my... <laughs> One of the things I used to do would be, um, well, I'll say it this way. What, um, 
what have you witnessed in other people where you found them valuing money, most important of all, has led them to a place they didn't plan before? This one happens a lot, and it might be you. We assume for some reason that taking a promotion is always what we're supposed to do. Like, when, without a doubt, we always assume the promotion is the next thing we're supposed to do. But I've seen time and again a person is offered a promotion and they're tempted because it pays more and it's more authority and more power. Without ever praying about it, without ever thinking, is this job actually a good fit for me? And inevitably, they move into the job, they take the promotion, they get that paycheck, and they're terrible at it, and then they get fired. That, or worse, they're terrible at it, and it's making them miserable, and they won't do what they got to do to change it. We just assume that progress and, like, that more is always better. We always assume that more is always better, and I'm here to tell you, it's just not always the case. And so... I want us as a, as a church to be thinking through this as we live life. Where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Let's, let's keep on. So Jesus is teaching, and this feels like loving and caring, and he's reminding us, put your treasures in heaven, not on this earth. And like most of us are hearing this and saying, yeah, this makes a lot of sense. Like I get the value in what he's saying. Don't put my hope in material things, but put my hope in eternal things. Then he says something crazy. And again, this isn't a parable, and Jesus isn't joking. It says, no one can serve two masters. Well, just hold on. Who's talking about masters here? But he goes on and says, for you, you, will, you will, if you have two masters, you will love one and hate the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And the bottom line here, and I think the principle that he's teaching is you will serve something. That's just the bottom line. And typically the two defaults in our lives, God and money. And you've got to choose. As followers of Jesus, we have to choose. Um, and I just want to tell you, you go to a church with people. The fact that I can stand up here and tell you, like, our expenses for this last three months, our income is exceeding, expenses are lower. That's rare for a church to be able to do that. And I don't take credit for that. That's this church that does this. Just two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I preached, and I said one of the things I do for the community is when we're, we get requests, we tell them yes. So the school across the street, if they make a request of us, regardless of the cost, we, yes, we tell them yes. Um, we got a few other requests. September was a month with lots of yeses and not a lot of budget. So I get all these requests. Can we help with this? Can we help with that? We told the teachers whatever they needed to tell us. We'd buy it for them, and they found out we were serious, and they kept asking about for new stuff, and so we just kept telling this, yes, yes, yes. And we did this work here, which was expensive, and so, and we kept getting these requests, and God just kept saying, yeah, yes, yes, yes. And so I mentioned it a couple weeks ago. I want to tell you, I don't normally count the offering, except our lady is charging finances, is out having a baby. So I thought we'd give her some time off. Um, 
She's fine, though. She's like, um, I'm having the baby Thursday. I should be back on the weekend to help you. I'm like, no, no. How about a few more days there? Um, so last week, I was counting the offering. I don't normally do that. And one of the checks was $2,000, and it's our yes fund as a church. And so there's a generous man in our church who says, I want to support that yes fund. And all the yeses we gave the month before were just paid for just like that. No, yeah, exactly. Awesome. One other awesome thing is we're looking at Weaverville and planting the church up there. It's going to cost about $70,000. That we don't have. We're just not a church that makes a ton of excess. Everything we get, we try to use to reach the community and stuff like that here. So Fred, he made, he, he, he made a few calls to some people here in this church and says, hey, we're doing this church up Weaverville. Would you pray about supporting this? Within a matter of like a week, he raised $40,000 for that church. Just people here making the commitment. We believe in what God is doing. Powerful stuff. You go and are a part and are a generous people. And so as we read this, don't hear like any word of, of lacking or condemnation or anything like that. That's not this at all. This is like, let's just remember where we're putting our treasure, where we're like our hope is. It's in Jesus Christ and the work he's called to do. Now, if you struggle with giving, if you struggle with tithing, man, I get that. We've all been there. There are some of us that are still there. There are some of you who are like, I don't know how I could give $5. That's okay. That's not what this is all about. This is just about what does the Bible teach us and how can we encourage you to do that? So real quick, we've got some logistics things. Our budget, when you give to fellowship, what does it go to? So 63% goes to staff. I'm going this, there it is. 63% goes to staff. Now, you're like, whoa, that's a lot of money. It is. Um, nonprofits lean that way regardless. National average for churches is 55%. We lean a little heavy. We've been up as far as like 72% before. We're actually down to 63% right now. And I know that's a lot. But one of the things I think that has made this church impacting in the community and exceed growth as fast as it has is that right there. So you staff to lead into growth and impact versus the opposite. 24% goes to, I keep worrying these don't add up to 100%. If they don't, don't tell me. Um, then that, num, that rest of that is programming. So that's children, youth, service, all that other stuff is into the programming thing, growth groups, all of that stuff. And then 13 is here in this building. So it just, it costs, it's, it's, that's what it costs here. Lights on, heating, all that other good stuff. So when you give to your church, that's what it goes to. I wanted you to know that, lay that out there in front of you. Um, but let me start to wrap up with this idea. Why should you, and I'm going to try to convince you, if you're like on the fence, if you haven't given before, why? Why is this a good idea? Well, one, because the church is the redemptive work of Jesus Christ in this world. Like he left us here to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are his voice here. And that's a powerful institution that we are called to support. I think number two is that it trains us to be to be focused on eternal things. It teaches us that he created all this. He gave us first, and he asked for just a little bit of it back. It reminds us to not stick our hope and peace and contentment with our things, instead with God. And um, 
And it's where we'll feel that peace and fulfillment and contentment. And by the way, this isn't just a Christian church talk at this point. I've did a lot of research on this, and this is something that those in the community that you work with, non-Christians are asking themselves too. There's actually a non-Christian idea of like giving and tithing. It's fascinating. Because people are just finding out to be truly content with life. You have to give and be a generous person. Now, we know the deeper reason is because God's just working in us. He's teaching us, prompting us that we can give to him, and we place our trust in him, not in our paycheck and in our things. So, real practical. It's just our heart. It's where we're putting our treasure. And it doesn't have to be this church. I'll just throw that out. We're not trying to boost up our offering or anything like that. That's fine. If you have other organizations or other churches, like that's great. That's not the point. The point is just it's a spiritual idea of where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. So final three things. If you're just getting started or you want to get restarted on this, pick a dollar amount or a percentage. Just pick it. I want you to pray about it, think about it, and pick it. It might be tiny. It might be big. It might feel scary. Whatever, pray about it. Ask the Holy Spirit to begin to talk to you and choose it. Number two, write that check first. And I laugh. Make the online contribution first. Or however, whatever generation you're from, do that first. Then we do something funny here. And I realize this feels weird at first. If you choose to give for the first time, We want to encourage you to tell us before you start to do it. Track what you give for three months, and if that three months, if you've gone broke, if you can't pay your bills, if you want it back, we will refund it. I know it's weird, but we just want to tell you guys, if you're scared, if you're worried, try it for three months. Let us know ahead of time. It does help if you do that. Let us know ahead of time. We'll keep it for you at the end of three months. It doesn't work out. We will reform all of it because we believe, and in the history of our church, it's never happened. You could be the first. That would be fine. But we want to just encourage you. It's not like, like it says in like Old Testament. I have a verse I wanted to read. We don't have time for it. It says, try me in this. If you give, watch me pour out my blessings to you. Watch you be content. Watch you find peace. Watch him give back to you. And it's just a powerful thing. We think that's so true as a church. Again and again in the Old Testament and New Testament, those that trust God to give him something and do it with the heart of joy, he cares for them. It doesn't mean he makes you rich. He doesn't always give it back. Your gift is not a down payment for eternity. Your gift is not like lottery. I might get it back. I might get what. That's not what it is. It's about placing your trust in him and hoping him. So I'm going to pray. And then we're going to do something. It's a segue that's a little interesting, but we're going to then take Lord's Supper up here. But to tie this in, as he has died for us, he calls us to follow him and to trust him with all things. It seems as if money is that hardest piece. I read a stat about 50% of our nation attends church on a regular basis and 5% tithe, 5% give. So 50% followed him, but those, all those 2,000 verses and 16 teachings of Jesus, parables, there's a disconnect. And I think it's because it's just such a big, important issue 
of our hearts as we follow him. And all right, let's pray.